Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Welcome to church today. I hope you all had a great uh, 4th of July and enjoyed some time together with family and friends. And I'm glad that you're here with us today as we are going to start a three-week series called My Heart, Christ's Home. Now, the emphasis, uh, impetus behind this is that uh, we had just finished this series called The Ten Great Words for Life, where we looked at the Ten Commandments and that the Ten Commandments are more than just a list of rules and laws and regulations. They're really all about the heart. And that is what I was emphasizing every week. It's all about the heart. Now, with that thought in mind, we need to understand, well, how does God exactly work in our hearts? How does he change the heart? What does it mean that God lives in my heart? What does that all look like, and how does all of this work? So what we're going to do is we're going to spend three weeks looking at the heart, so looking at and understanding how the Holy Spirit works in the heart of mankind. And what we're going to use is Ephesians chapter 3, in order to look at this, we're going to focus in on verses 14 through 20 of Ephesians chapter 3 and understand what role does the Holy Spirit play in our heart and how is my heart the home of Christ? Let's pray as we begin and get into this here today. Father, we give you the, the praise and the glory and the honor that you deserve. We want to hear from you today. We want you to be our teacher and show us your truth, Lord. Father, we want to learn today from you about how the Holy Spirit works in our heart and in our lives and make this more than just theory. Make it practical, Lord. Make it so that we understand this deep relationship that we can have with you. Lord, over these next three weeks, show us how your Holy Spirit uh, Holy Spirit strengthens us. Show us how your Holy Spirit dwells within us. Show us how we receive an incredible love that we can't even fully understand. Show us, Lord, how we understand to walk in the power that you provide and help us to understand the fullness that you give. Father, we uh, ask for you to be our teacher here, for you to speak to our hearts, and for you to show us your truth. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and let's look at this together. So what we're going to be doing is looking at verses 14 through 20. We're going to spend three weeks looking at this and again understanding through what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And I think today that this is going to become practical. I think it's going to be helpful to understand how God works as we dig through his word today. We're only going to get through a portion of this. We're not going to get through all of this, but we're going to understand 
what God is doing in our lives. So let's read through Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, and then let's dig into this and break it down verse by verse, word by word, line by line, as we understand what God's truth is being relayed to us. It starts with these words. Paul is writing this. Um, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we read through this. You may not have a clear understanding of what Paul is talking about. It may be a little bit confusing. What is Paul exactly saying through all of this? Well, what he is saying is what it means to have Christ at work in our hearts how he works within us and how he changes us from the inside out. So what we're going to look at over the next three weeks is inner strengthening. We're going to look at the indwelling spirit, incomprehensible love, infinite fullness, internal power, and incomparable fruit. Those are the things that we're going to look at today. We'll look at the first two, inner strengthening and indwelling spirit. So number one, we are going to look at what does it mean to have inner strengthening? How does God want to strengthen us from the inside out? And then we'll look at the indwelling Christ. So let's go back to the verses and let's pick this apart verse by verse, word by word, line by line to understand what Paul is exactly saying. He starts with these words, for this reason. Well, what is Paul saying? For this reason. For this reason means everything that he had previously talked about in the previous two and a half chapters of the book of Ephesians. You can go back and read those. I'd highly encourage you to do so. But let me sum it up with this one word. What he was talking about was grace. For this reason, for the reason of grace, here's what I want you to do in response. What is grace? Grace is one of the most amazing things that we can understand from the Bible. We have a song that we sing about it called Amazing Grace. It is truly amazing. What is grace? Grace is God's love, God's favor, God's kindness, and God's forgiveness to you and I when we least deserved it. I don't know if you ever felt this way, but most people, when they come to know the Lord, realize that they have gotten themselves to a point that they are beyond forgiveness. A lot of people feel like they have hit rock bottom. They have hit the depth of, uh, of their life. They can't sink any lower. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you felt that way in the past where you realize that I desperately need God's grace. I need to be forgiven. I have fallen so deep in a pit. I am in such a hole that I am beyond anything. When you felt that way, when you dropped to that point, that's where God's grace meets us the deepest. 
There is no hole that you can fall in. There is no depth that you can sink to. That God is not bigger still. That he can pick you up and rescue out of that. When God gives you favor, when he gives you love, when he gives you forgiveness, it is called his grace. His grace is what saves us. We cannot save ourselves. We can't work our way to heaven. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't be good enough to get to heaven. We need the kindness and the favor and the grace of God. There is no greater story in the Bible than the story of the prodigal son to demonstrate the grace of God. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son. Many probably are. Some maybe aren't familiar with that story. Let me give you the prodigal son story in a a nutshell. There was a son. He came from a very, very wealthy household. And the son went to his father and said to his father, I don't want to wait for the inheritance. I want what's mine now. I want my portion now because I want to live my life and I want to have fun with this money. And so give me what's coming to me in the future. Give it to me now. Well, the father gives him that money and the son leaves. And it says that the son went on a journey to a distant land. The son was looking for something in that journey, looking for life and meaning and purpose and and, and connection. And he took all of that money and he went to a distant land and there he squandered it, all of it, on parties and drugs and drinking and sex and finding, hanging out at the bars and finding those relationships and really coming to the point where he hit rock bottom. He was completely out of money, lost all of the friendships, hit rock bottom. And only the only job he could find to do was the job of feeding the pigs. As he's there feeding the pigs, he was so hungry. He had lost everything, such rock bottom that he longed to eat the food that the pigs were eating because he was so desperate. He came up with a brilliant idea, though. When he finally came to his senses, it says, that he thought in his mind, you know what? I could go back to my father's house, and at least I could beg him for a job, and maybe he would make me like one of the servants, and I could at least work for them. At least I know I've got a good job if I do that. And so in humility... He starts the journey back to his father's house. His father sees him from a a distance. And when his father sees him, the father runs to him, embraces him, kisses him, puts a robe on him and a ring on his finger and celebrates that the son of his that was lost has now been found. The son who had wandered away is now home. That is the picture of what grace is. There is no distance that you could be away from God that God is not bigger and greater still that he is willing to give you his grace and embrace you and love you and accept you back. The forgiveness of God, the grace of God is the foundation of life. It's the foundation of what the Bible is all about. It is the kindness, the favor, the grace of God. So Paul says, for this reason. What's the reason? Because of grace. Because God was loving to me. He was kind to me. He forgave me when I deserved it the least. For this reason, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. What does it mean to bow your knees before the Father? Well, bowing your knees is a sign of worship. Do you know that worship is not just singing on a Sunday morning. Though we have phenomenal worship here at Journey, we have such a wonderful team who lead us in worship. That's only a sliver of what worship is. 
Do you know that worship means the ascribing or the proclaiming of worth to the object that you were worshiping? Bowing your knees before the Father is a daily activity. It's a lifelong activity where you are proclaiming with your life, you, O oh Lord, are worthy to receive all of the praise and the honor and the glory. You are worthy of all of this. That is what worship is. Worship is the natural outpouring of gratitude for the grace that has been given to me. People that have been forgiven much, worship much, love much, and are full of gratitude. If you don't understand the depth of the grace that God has given, it's going to be hard for you to worship. But when you finally understand the depth of the grace, you will understand what it means to worship. And that's why Paul says, for this reason, for the reason of grace, I am grateful and I worship and I get on my knees before the Father, from whom Every family in heaven and on earth is named. What does that mean? It means that all existence is wrapped up in God. Everything comes out of God. He is the creator. He is the author. He is the one that holds life together. We are the, the branches and he is the vine. He is the source of life. He is the battery to our lives. He is everything to our lives. He has, in him is all existence, both on heaven and on earth. So for this reason, for the reason of grace, I'm grateful and I bow my knees and I realize that he is the source of all of life. Let's keep going. It says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I want you to notice those words, inner being. God wants to strengthen you, but he doesn't want to strengthen you physically. That he's not looking to strengthen you with muscles. He's not about that. He is about strengthening you on the inside. He's about strengthening you in your inner person. What, what is the inner person? We use that term synonymous with the word spirit. Did you know that God has created you with a body, with a soul, and with a spirit? It's how he has wired us. It's how he has created us. What are, what are all of those pieces? Well, number one, you have the body. What is your body? Your body is just the physical shell. Your body gets older. Your body gets tired. I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but at some point in life, you don't have the same energy that you once had. Does anybody experience that? Have you had that happen? As you get older, you start to have aches and pains and wrinkles in your life. I cannot keep this thing on my ear today for some reason. Anyway, you start to have aches and pains and you start to have wrinkles. And some of us have less hair over time as the body ages and the body grows weaker. I like what Jeff Foxworthy said about hair loss. He said, for men, it's not that they lose their hair. What happens is it sucks in the top and it pops out of some other part of their body. That's what happens. So you haven't lost hair. It's just growing out of your ears instead of out of your head at this point or out of the back instead of the head at that point. That's the body. The body's a physical shell. When you are in eternity, you'll be given a new body, a resurrected body. Jesus was after he was in the tomb. It's why they didn't recognize him at first, because he had a glorified body, a different body. It was changed by God. That's your body. You also have a soul. 
Your soul is made up of your mind, your emotions, and your will. It's part of how you're wired. Finally, you have a spirit. The spirit is the part of you that God makes alive. When you don't know God, your spirit is dead. Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, they died that day, but they did not die physically. They died spiritually. They had no more relationship with God. Their spirits were dead. This is why Jesus tells Nicodemus, if you want to be in in, in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? I'm old. I can't go back into my mother's womb. And he says, it's not about being born of the water again. You need to be born of the spirit. Your spirit has to come alive. That's what he's talking about when he says, I want to strengthen you in your inner being by my spirit. God wants to make your spirit alive and to strengthen that spirit and make you able to do life and live life and go through life. See, see, some of you have never experienced what it means to be born again. In fact, you may not even know, how, how do I get born again? What does it mean to be born again? How do I get that? Well, to be born again, you have to come to the realization that I am a sinner, that I have fallen away from God, that I have nothing to do with God. I've stiff-armed God. I've turned my back on God. I've rejected God. I found myself in the midst of a mess And I want God to help me. I want God's grace. And so you come to God in humility and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please come into my life and please save me. And when you do that, you are born again. Your spirit comes to life. And when your spirit comes to life, the Holy Spirit also indwells you with power by his spirit in your inner being. That's the first thing that we have to have. We've got to be born again and have the inner spirit strengthening that God does. But we move on from that. And we move on from that to the indwelling spirit. We have inner strengthening when I'm born again and I receive the grace that God gives. And then I experience this indwelling spirit of God. Now, I'm going to share with you an analogy that I've shared before, but I don't know if you would remember that when I've shared it in the past, but I think it's an analogy that makes so much sense that you're really going to get it when we talk about what does it mean to have the indwelling spirit. Here's what Paul goes on to say. So that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I want you to notice the word dwell. So that's what, that's what God wants to do. He wants to make you born again, come into your heart, and then dwell in your heart. What is the word dwell? Well, the word dwell in the original Greek language means inhabit, reside, always be present, take up permanent residence. In the Old Testament, there was this thing called the Shekinah glory of God. What was the Shekinah glory? That was the presence of God, the spirit of God resting over the tabernacle and the temple. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that don't you understand that your body is now the temple of God? In other words, the Shekinah glory of God that dwelt on the tabernacle and the temple now dwells in your heart. You are the temple of God today. He lives and he resides in you. The word dwell 
means that he wants to be present. He wants to be active. He wants to take up permanent residence in your life. There's a word picture that Paul is using with this that's really going to make sense. And here's the word picture in a nutshell. Looks like this. It's a blueprint. I want you to think about this analogy with me and try to imagine this. That your heart, your spirit looks like this. Looks like a blueprint. In fact, I want you to picture it this way, that your heart is the home of Christ. You've got a home. It's your heart. It's your spirit. And picture it this way. At the front door, one day, Jesus comes standing at the front door and he starts knocking on the door. Now, as he is knocking on the door, you have a few choices. Number one, you could pretend like you're not home. I don't know if you've ever done that before with somebody who's come and knocked on your door. You've pretended like I'm not home. In fact, maybe you look out the front window, you see who's at the door, you immediately hit the ground, and you army crawl out of the living room. Anybody ever done that? That's at least one honest person. I appreciate that. I have two. <laughs> two of your pastors here in this room today have done this. That's one choice. The second choice you have is just completely ignore it. You can look out the window, see that they're there. They can see that you're inside. You just ignore it. I'm not going to answer it. I hope it'll go away. Third choice you could have is you could open the door and you could see who's at the front door and you could have a conversation with the one at the front door. In this particular case, it's Jesus standing at the door and you open it, you have a conversation and then you say, no thanks, I'm not buying what you're selling. I don't want what you're peddling, and you close the door in his face, and you just go out, go about your business. You just keep going on your way. That's another choice you could have. Fourth choice is you could open the door, see Jesus standing there, have a conversation, and say, Jesus, come in. I have been waiting for you. I'm so excited that you're here. Come into my life. Come into my heart. And he does. You've invited him in. That's what it means to be born again. You've opened the door. He's come into your life. Now he is in the living room of your heart, of your house. Glorious day. You've been saved. You've been born again. God lives in your heart. He's there in the living room. The only problem with this is that while he's in the living room, I maintain control of the rest of the house. How many of you have a house that if somebody is coming over, you know they're coming over, you will clean those one or two rooms, maybe three rooms, and everything else, the door is closed, it's all off limits. I don't want you to see what's behind all of the other doors. You can have door one, two, or three, and that's it. You can't have anything else. See, Jesus is in the living room. Maybe you've given him access to a couple of rooms, but everything else in the house is mine. And that's how many Christians live life. It's my house. You're a guest, Jesus. You live here. You be here. I want you to be here, but I want you to stay confined to your box, your area. You can stay confined to the 500 square foot that I have given you. Everything else is mine. For a while, that works. For a while, 
you set up an appointment with Jesus. You say, okay, I love having you here. So every day, how about this? I'll wake up before I go to work. We'll have coffee together. We'll study your word together. We'll talk together. I'll give you my list of, of, of concerns, my list of, of wants and desires and demands. And I'll just present those to you every day. And we'll have a wonderful time. We'll relate together. Well, you do that for a while, and life is good for a while, and you make those daily appointments for a while, and then you just get really busy. And maybe you oversleep, and maybe you've got other things going on. And so every once in a while, you just kind of run by him. He's in the living room, but you run by and say, I'll catch you later. I'm late for work. I got to run out the door. You say, well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll catch up. With, we'll, we'll make up tonight. We'll, we'll uh, have time together tonight. And that never happens. And you just get busier and busier. I don't know where it is, but at some point along the line, Jesus comes to you or comes to me, us, and says, how about you let me see the rest of the house? I've only seen these three rooms. I would like to see the rest of the house. Now, if you're like me, you may say, well, I don't want you to see the rest of the house because it's not in order. It's not clean. I don't like the way that it looks. And Jesus says, I don't care about how it looks. I don't care about what's there. I would like to see the rest of the house. So reluctantly, embarrassingly, you say, okay, I'll give you a tour of the rest of the house. You take him into the kitchen and he sees the old the old kitchen, which is outdated, which is very dirty, sink stacked with dishes. It's just very disorganized and cluttered, and you embarrassingly show him the kitchen. He says, don't worry about it. I've seen, I've seen worse. I've seen better, but I've seen worse. Then you take him into the bathroom. You show him the bathroom, and the bathroom is, you know, 1970-style wallpaper with... Uh, with the uh, ugly green colored fixtures and sink and toilet. And he says, man, this is kind of outdated. I know, but I like it. It works. I don't like change. Then he takes you, you take him into the bedroom and he sees the shag carpet and he sees the uh, wood paneling on the wall. He said, are you happy with this? Do you, do you like this? Well, it's okay. I'm, I'm used to it. It's become normal for me. Wouldn't you like to see something better? No, it's It's okay. Take him down into the basement and he sees all of the mold growing on the wall and the water damage that is down there and all the clutter that is there. You take him up into the attic and he sees the boxes and the boxes and the boxes of stuff that you've stored and memories that you've hung on to and things that you think, well, I'll get to them someday and you never do. And he says, are you happy with your house? Are you happy with the way it is? So I'm just, I'm used to it. This is normal for me. And he says to you, how about if you let me dwell here? How about if you let me take up permanent residence? How about if you sign the title and sign the deed over to me and let me have the house and I will remodel it and I will do some demo and I'll do some repairs and I will purge this house and I will fix the problems in the house and I know it's a lot to live through the construction process but trust me, in the end, you're going to be blown away by how phenomenal it is. Will you do that? Will you sign it? Will you give it? Will you let me have it? And it's a wrestling point that we come to. Will I finally give it all? Will I finally sign it all? Will it finally be his? So reluctantly, 
challengingly, I sign the deed. And now it's his house. And every time I try to take back control, he reminds me, no, you signed this. It's mine. You can't take it back. Okay, I will sign it over to you. And when you do, he starts going through it room by room, item by item, saying, this we keep. This is garbage. This old thought, this old memory, this old decision-making, this old dysfunction, we've got to get rid of this. And he starts pulling up the 1970s shag carpet and the wood panels off the wall. And he starts moving walls and changing the structure. And if you've ever lived through a construction process, you know that can be painful. It can be burdensome. It can really be a problem trying to live through all of this. And he just keeps reminding, just, just trust me. When I get done, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. But just hang with me through the process. See, that's how God works in our lives. He looks at your life and he says, this dysfunctional pattern of behavior, this sinful decision making, this messed up way of thinking, this reactionary way of thinking, this anger, this depression, this doubt, this discouragement, this discontentment, all of this stuff, it's got to go. And you've got to let me replace it with what is new. That's what it means when Paul says that Christ will strengthen you. He'll fix the house, strengthen it, make it a better foundation, and then he will dwell, take up permanent residence in your home. Many Christians today live life as if they're the owner of the home. Jesus is a guest. I'm glad he's a guest. I'm so thankful he's here, but he doesn't own it. I own it. And there's a point in time that God says it's time to switch places. I don't want to just be a guest in your home. I want to own it. You can be the guest and I will own the home. It's what Paul says in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. See, it's a decision-making point that all of us have come to. And the decision is one of two things. Number one, have you been born again? Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Some of you have never opened the door to him. How do you get born again? You open the door and you say, Jesus, come in. Please forgive me. I need your grace. And when you open the door to him and you say, please come in, you can be born again. And that's where we need to start. And if you've never experienced that today, make this the day you open the door to Jesus and say, Jesus, come in. Decision point number two, he's been in the home. He's lived in the living room. I've invited him in, but I have never signed the deed and said, Jesus, the whole house is yours. Maybe it's too scary. Maybe I just don't want to change. I like things the way that they are. It's comfortable. Or I don't want him to make me give up this thing that I really need to hang on to. The boxes of stuff in the attic or the stuff in the basement, I don't want to give those up, so I don't want to ever sign it over to him. But maybe today he's speaking to your heart saying, it's time for you to sign the deed and give it all to him. 
when you make that decision, you will start to experience what we will see next week, this incomprehensible love that you have never known before. This internal power that he gives you when you sign it over to him. And this infinite fullness that he wants to put into your life when you finally sign everything over to him. Have you made those decisions? If you haven't, make today your day. Whether you need to be born again and open the door to him, or whether you need to sign the whole deed over and say, Jesus, the whole house is yours. Whatever he's calling you to do, make today the day. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those in this room who need to be born again. You're standing right now at the door of their heart and you're knocking and they can hear it. They know you're knocking on their heart today. And you're asking them to make a decision to open the door and let you into their lives. And I want to pray specifically for those people today, either watching or in this room today, that as they hear you knocking on the door of their heart, that they would say, Jesus, come into my life. I need a relationship with you. The other decision point, Lord, I believe, affects numerous people here and watching. This decision point where we finally say, Jesus, I will sign the whole house over to you. No longer will I confine you to the living room of my life. I will sign my home over. I will sign my heart over. And it's yours to do with as you please. It's no longer mine. You now own it. It is Christ, you, who lives in me, that you would take up permanent settlement in our lives. Lord, as you're doing that work, as people are making that decision with you right now to sign everything over, to let you be the owner, I pray, Father, next time that you will show us what it means to have that incredible, incomprehensible love, that you will show us what it means to have that, that incredible internal power and that you will show us what it means to have that fullness that we have so craved all of our lives. Lord, as we leave this place, bless, lead, and help. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.